So, uh, good morning. As you can tell by our two prayers so far, we are um, down a couple pastors. I think uh, Jeff and Kurt have already been mentioned. Did they mention Matt? I think Matt actually went to Wagon Train too, but you didn't know that. Um, Because when Andy went, he came back and reported, we need more help. So they sent three adults this time. So we might need to pray for them again. But this morning, I get the opportunity to share with you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to continue back in our study of 2 Corinthians in our series of renovation. I want to just encourage us to, let's take a look back in our, in our past a little bit. Don't worry, it won't be too painful. But uh, can you think of a time in your past, when maybe, maybe in college or high school, where you had to do a group project together? with a bunch of other students, um, or maybe at your job you, you were given a task to perform with a list of expectations, uh, maybe by yourself or with a bunch of group. I, I remember back to college times where I was the guy in the group that um, was ready to work, but I was only ready to work the night before the project was due. So I wasn't the total deadbeat in the group, but there was always the couple of people that would do nothing, and then there ended up, eventually, there would be one person that did the group for everybody, and then what happens? Everybody gets the credit, and everyone gets the same score, and everyone is happy except for the person that did all the work, and they're usually a little irritated by that. Um, when I was a teenager, during the summers, I'd, you know, usually stay home. My parents both worked, and um, I think maybe it was the summer my Maybe when I was 13 was the first year I was in that situation where I was home by myself and my mom would give my brother and I a list of things she expected done um, while she was at work. And it was very simple things like maybe mow the lawn or put a couple clothes away or clean your room. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, high, high level tasks that we were asked to do. Um, my brother was the son that was Good, and he did his his chores, and he, he did them early. And I would go out through, throughout my day, and I would have fun. And I knew my mom would usually get home about three thirty, so what three twenty? We were, we would start on whatever the chore was. And so after several weeks of this, my mom would get frustrated with me. Um, and her first um, course of action was to give me more tasks to do. So I couldn't wait till three twenty to possibly get it done. So she gave me more things to do. So I'm incurring more and more work on myself. Of course, I'm a young, stupid kid, so I didn't learn, and I would still try to delay. And um, she found out what the big problem was. The big problem was this is hot in the summer. So after I was done riding around my bikes with my friends, I would come home when it was hot, and I'd watch TV for five hours straight. And so my mom would, she finally caught on to me, and she would take a piece of paper very carefully, and she would write a list of all the expectations of the day. And then she would carefully tape it to the TV screen so that I couldn't watch TV. And she was, did such a good job of it that there was no wrinkles in the paper. So if I ever tried to pull the piece of paper, I would wrinkle it or rip it. And then she would know. And so then I'd spend the whole day stressed out because I knew I was going to get in trouble. Well, I didn't learn. That happened several times. And... Uh, I don't know what to take from that, but, but 
The reason I bring that up is, is Paul, in this letter to the Corinthian church, he had, he had started the church in Corinth, like many other churches, in his mission work. And he had left a list of, of things, of ways that the gospel teaches us to live for Christ. And he had taught and discipled this group, and he had leaders in church that he had established. And then he went away, and he went to... Um, fulfill his mission that God had given him to plant other churches. And so Paul, Paul as you write, read in many of his letters, his desires to go back and visit as many times as he, as he can write. Um, but one of the things that he did was write letters to them to check in with them. And, and the Corinthian church had issues, as we've read about, um, in following through. They responded to the gospel, and they established this church but what happened was over time, people in the church, people in leadership positions were starting to twist the gospel and were trying to add more things to the gospel than the gospel really lays out. And so Paul has had to address that many times. And so that takes us to this chapter 10. We've just finished the last couple of weeks we've, um, in this series. Um, we've talked about money. Is anybody here for the, the money talks? It's been like, we had a couple weeks of those where we talked about money. Um, so we don't, we don't need to talk about money today. Um, but if you're still convicted, then you can go back and listen to those and uh, read those. Um, Paul really impressed upon the Corinthian church to be partners in the gospel like the other churches. And, and it wasn't for himself. It wasn't so that he got a paycheck is so that the message of the gospel could be proclaimed in the, the known world at the time. That was Paul's heart. And that heart came straight from, from Christ. <clears throat> so, let's get to it. Chapter 10, verse 1. Let me back up one more thing. There's one more thing I wanted to say before I read this. At the beginning of this book, he's addressing this church, but it's him and Timothy together. If you remember in, in chapter 1, it's they're writing this letter together. But now in chapter 10, Paul kind of branches off because he wants to address some things that are specifically associated with himself. So, chapter 10, verse 1. <clears throat> Follow along if you, if you can. It's on the screen as well. Now I, Paul, make a personal to appeal to you by the gentleness and graciousness of Christ. I who am humble, humble among you in person, but bold towards you in absence. When absent. I beg you that when I am present, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think we're behaving in an unspiritual way. This is an awkward part of the letter, isn't it? I mean, I can just imagine if I'm the guy that's spouting all the nonsense and we read this letter out, out loud in church, I'm just going to sink quietly in my chair. So he's, you know, he's like urging, like, don't, don't make me do this in person. Chapter 3, or verse 3. For though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unspiritual way. Since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the de demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. And we're ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience has been confirmed. So he's addressing this group of believers 
He's not addressing non-Christians. He's addressing a group of believers, and some of them who, who have made it known that we can do things outside of what the Word of God teaches us to handle problems. I don't, we don't know specifically what he's addressing, but he's making it clear that there is a worldly way to handle conflict, and there is a spiritual way to handle conflict. And he's making it clear that in the life of the believer, we are to follow what the Word of God and the Spirit of God is teaching us to do. So what, is, what are these weapons that we speak of? I think um, anybody who grew up in church, especially if you're a boy, you heard about the, the armor of God from, I mean, age three, maybe two, maybe baby. You know, you've heard about it all the way up. And it's, you know, every summer we're, we're reciting things and we're, we're doing like plays and all kinds of stuff to reinforce this. And it really is just... Um, such a beautiful picture. So I want to draw back to um, Ephesians chapter 6, and we're just going to list these out, and um, just so that we can get some clarity on exactly how we're going to, what, what form of attack we're going to use if we're dealing with any, any opposition to the gospel of Christ or any spiritual opposition whatsoever, any ideas, thoughts that he has listed. So we learn in, in Ephesians 6 what we're to put on. Maybe you know them, maybe you don't, but I'm going to list them all. The belt of truth. The breastplate. We're going to cover our chest. The breastplate of righteousness. Our feet are to be fitted, are to be ready with the gospel of peace. The shield of faith. The helmet of what? Salvation. The sword of the Spirit, which is what? It's the Word, the Word of God. And finally, prayer. So Paul, in his, in his letter to the Ephesians, he's listed, listed these, these, this analogy of what we're to put on as a, as a believer. And why do we put these on? It's to give us a blueprint, right? It says, give us a strategy straight from the word of God on how we are supposed to interact in, in this world, in the church and outside the church. So what's the, there, there, there's a blueprint that we're given to follow. So we can follow that or we can do the opposite, right? We always have a choice. We can follow the blueprint. We can follow the world. So we have the truth. We have the choice to put on the belt of truth. So we can choose truth or what? We can choose, choose lies. The, the wonderful thing about the word of God is that there's no question about uh, its truthfulness. There's no, there's no lies hidden in the word of God. There's no tricks. God doesn't have to resort to anything because he is the standard. He is God. He is perfect, holy, and righteous. And every word out of his mouth, every word recorded for us in his word is truth. For something to be true, it has to be 99% true, right? No. There's no, there's no, there's no, 
wiggle room. It's 100% or it's not true. Once one lie is added, once one thing is added, it's no longer true. So when we're talking to someone and they say, you know what, I believe that I'm saved by grace, but I've got to do this, this, and this if I want to actually get to heaven. That's not the truth anymore. That's not the message anymore. I'm sure, like me, when I think about this, I have all kinds of ideas running in my head of things I've heard said in the world, things that have been said from pulpits that are contrary to what the Word of God teaches us. We can choose righteousness or wickedness. Now, does it always come out like that? Not usually. I mean, we can usually uh, appear righteous and, and, and work some wickedness in there where people might not notice, but God knows, right? And just like truth, when we're called to be a holy people, when we're called, called to live for God, the sin makes us unrighteous. And that's a problem, right? But it's not a problem because if we are in Christ, we have his righteousness imparted on us. Praise God for that. We can choose to be fitted, to be ready with the gospel of peace. Or we can preach the gospel of death. Now obviously that's an oxymoron because what does gospel mean? It means good news. But the message of death that Satan has taught people to believe and encouraged them to teach, it appears as good news, doesn't it? A lot of times it appears as good But there's only one gospel of peace. There's only one message that brings reconciliation between a fallen people and a holy God, and that's through Jesus. We can choose faith, or we can choose to be in control. I'll let that sit for a little bit. I know that's hard for a lot of us. God, I know you're in control but I better help you because I'm not sure if you know what you're doing. We might not say that out loud, but I think uh, that's a common thought that can run through our head. We choose salvation or we can choose self-sufficiency. We think we can bring something to the table. The word of God tells us that's just not, that's not the case. All our works are what? They're filthy rags in comparison to what he's done for us. <clears throat> and finally, we can, and we can choose the word of God or we can follow after the world. There are so many like there's so many different angles and messages, especially in this day and age. There's so much, so many access points that the enemy has into our minds and hearts. We got 
we've always had people in our lives and religious leaders. This philosophy has been around for a long time. Different tactics and ways to live a better life. And now we have, you know, we have social media and, and, and television and all, this, all these different ways for the message, contrary to the gospel, to enter. And that's why the word of God is so, imp- excuse me, so important. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And it's able to judge the ideas and the thoughts of the heart. So when we, when we hear these messages, and it makes us feel a certain way, where do we put that against? We don't put it against our feelings That's not the standard. We're going to fail every time. We take that and we compare it to Scripture. How does this align with Scripture? If it does, then we're in the right spot. And if it doesn't, we need to get it out. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp into my feet and a light to my path. I heard the kids did this verse this morning. Do you have your lamp with you? You can hold it up. Sorry, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Look at that. That's awesome. <laughs> the word of God is light. It reveals where to go, how to follow God. Second Peter 1.3 His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We have what we need. We are so blessed. You know, I talked about the negative aspects of living in this day and age. But can you imagine if somebody from the dark ages found out that in the future I'm going to be able to pull out a device in my pocket and I can look at 150 Bible translations on my phone just by pushing on the screen. There was a time that, that just wasn't even a, a possibility. You didn't, they didn't even have it accessible to them. What a, what a treasure that is, and it shouldn't be wasted. Lastly, we can choose prayer, or we can choose panic. I think Prayer aligns so much with, with faith. And prayer is what God uses us to align our hearts with his. We're told to just go to him at all times. You know, it, when it lists the, the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, at the end, towards the end of that chapter, he says in verse 18, Pray, in the, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. We're supposed to be praying for everything. Every prayer, every request. And then stay alert and persevere in that prayer and intercession for all the saints. Who are the saints? It's us, it's the believers. It's also the saints that are on the way down the Hume Lake right? Our counselors and our kids, those who have 
surrendered their life to Christ. And so they're going down there right now, and they're going to pour into these kids' lives, and they're going to continue to learn, learn about who God is. And we're going to pray for them. We're going to take some time right now in the middle of this message, and we're going to pray for another group. Jim, would you pray for us? Amen. I was going to use that. No, just kidding. Amen. How many of you put on your armor, the full armor this morning? A uh, few people have. <laughs> we all need to every day. Amen. And uh, the, the, the young people that I want to pray for right now on their way down to camp are the older group, the high schoolers. Um, and Lord, uh, they are precious in your sight. They are precious in your sight because they are just coming into their own. They are, they are finding out who they are as they become adults. And they uh, are struggling in many ways with that whole hormone thing, you know? <laughs> so we need to up, uphold these, these young people because they are coming into a place where they become leaders, actual leaders of younger people and in the church. They're the next generation coming up. Amen? Amen. So first of all, I'd like to pray for the, the counselors. Emily Pearson and Melissa Upton are going to be working with the Ponderosa girls. Steve Upton and Michael Diaz Upton are going to be working with the boys. And Matt... Uh, Matt Protaz is going to be uh, helping them out. And Lord, I just pray for these um, counselors, that Lord, you would bless them and be with them, that Father, your, your word uh, would live in and through them as they uh, minister to the younger people, Father, as they come into their own. And Lord, they're not boys and girls, they're, in, they're coming up into young adulthood. So Lord, I just pray for each one of them, Elijah Hooker, Eli Valentine, Lincoln Diaz Upton, and Michael Butler, Owen Boyd, and Tucker Upton, and William Diaz Upton. Those are the boys. And Lord, I want to pray now for the girls, Ashley Johnson. Ashlyn Snyder and Isabella Fiorentini, Jada Nance and Noel Protraz. Lord, we just thank you for these young adults. Bless and be with them. May they put on the full armor of God. May we each learn to put it on each day. And Lord, I, I really am so thankful that uh, that Nate has included prayer in the armor, and it is it is our warfare. It's part, it's how we how we tear down strongholds is by crying out to you because we can't do it, but only through prayer and petition, and and reaching out to you, Lord, is your power released as we uh, wield uh, our shield of faith against the enemy to 
thwart every dart that shot at us and to take that sword of the spirit, which is your word, and do offensive battle against the enemy. Because, Lord, that's what armor is. It's for battle. And we're all in a battle every day. And we recognize that. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us uh, armor and you have given us uh, an offensive weapon, your word, and we thank you that you have given us prayer. You have given us communication with you, Holy Father, and your Son, who is able to change hearts to, to turn every circumstance for good for those who love you and who are called to your, according to your purpose. So we just lift this all up to you, and that your safety and your, your hand would be upon these young people throughout this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jim. Thought I was done, didn't you? <laughs> Only got another hour. We're good. We've gotten through six, ver six verses, and we only have to do 12 more. So let's get to it. So following on, there's kind of a, a break in the in the thought that he's um, that he's following, and so we're going to do a little sh shift here, and we're going to follow along. Verse seven, <clears throat> excuse me. Look at look at what is obvious. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should remind himself of this: that is, he belongs to Christ. So do we, Paul and Timothy. For if I boast some more about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for tearing you down, I'm not ashamed. I don't want to seem as though I'm trying to terrify you with my letters. For it said, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his physical presence is weak, and his public speaking is despicable. So, sounds like somebody's been talking behind his back and he got word. He's actually in the, in the, I'm not sure how uh, quotations work in the, in the old uh, Greek, but um, he, he's quoting here what someone said about him. It's interesting. Such a person should consider this. What we are in the words of our letters when absent, we will be in action when present. I was intrigued by this little passage, so I was like trying to find some, like, some history as to like why these things would be said about him. There's people that have written um, ancient um, church fathers that have talked about Paul's appearance that he was probably a small man. Um, they said something about his nose. He had a crooked nose or something. And uh, he was just not a very um, eloquent speaker it sounds like. It's interesting that God would use someone that didn't know how to speak in front of people, or not didn't know, but wasn't a powerful speaker, to, to bring this message to the world. But that's, that's in line with how God works, right? He's not going to choose the, the person that's going to draw the attention to himself. The attention's not on Paul. The, the attention is on the message that he is speaking. So it seems to be there's this, this pitting between those who are looking at the exterior, who are proud in their own, uh, their own means, their own accomplishments, 
And, and Paul, who is uh, being humble, and these people are talking uh, behind their back. I was watching recently um, the Lord of the Rings movies with my son. And, and we got to the last uh, Return of the King, and there's this scene where Aragorn is going to go off and get this army to fight for him. And so he's ready to go, and these guys are all ready for battle. They're, they're encamped, and they're ready to all go together to fight this battle. And on the night before, he's going to leave and go off. But no one knows why he's leaving. And so when he leaves, the guys start muttering, oh, yeah, some brave guy. Now that, now that we're going to war, he's going to hightail it out of here. He's scared, and so he's leaving. And totally, like, just reminded me of this, that, like, you know, Paul has, has come, and he's started this church, and his heart is that they would follow Christ with all that they have and that they would be partners in the gospel. But the pride of people, or maybe even the fear, when he's gone is that, yeah, you know, he said a lot of good stuff, but, like, he's not here now, and I'm not really sure. There starts to, you know, there's that, there's that, twisting of what maybe he said and the the doubt of whether his message was even the right message it's just that common the the age-old story the humility versus pride pride's going to do one thing almost always it's going to pride is going to degrade others to gain acceptance or acknowledgement so Paul's not, or excuse me, pride is not always just going to be like, I'm going out and doing my best. It's, a lot of times, what's involved in that is, I've done what I've done, but now I've got to make this person get lower and lower so that it makes me look better. Humility is never going to do that. Humility is never going to seek the spot, spotlight. Paul's not out there talking about how all the things that he's done and all the accomplishments he had he knows his past. He was someone who persecuted the church. He calls himself the chief sinner. But he also knows his qualifications. He lists them earlier in this book. I, I didn't put it in here. But remember, Paul, I mean, he, is a, he was a Pharisee. That, mean, that means that at a young age, he memorized the law and the prophets. Does anybody have any books of the Bible memorized? You do? We've got one person. That's an amazing accomplishment. To have the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized. That's, that's just amazing. He probably had much of the, the Old Testament memorized as well. He describes himself as someone who never, he never broke any of those laws. He never sinned in the, in the, in the sense of he didn't, break those exact laws. He did sin in his heart, though, didn't he? And so he recognized himself for what he is, but he had accomplishments that if he was someone that wanted to be proud of himself, he could have uh, shouted that from the rooftops. He could have put himself against anybody else. But that's not what humility does. I'm going to follow along in, in verse 12. We need to listen a little faster. For we don't dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. But in measuring themselves by themselves 
and comparing themselves to themselves, they lack understanding. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but according to the measure of the area of ministry that God has assigned to us, which reaches even to you. For we're not overextending ourselves as if we had not reached you, since we have come to you with the gospel of Christ. We're not bragging beyond measure about other people's labors, but we have the hope that as your faith increases, our area of ministry will be greatly enlarged so that we may proclaim the good news to the regions beyond you, not boasting about what has already been done in someone else's area of ministry. So the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. But it is not the one commending himself is approved, but the one the Lord commends. There's a lot there. But we can take, take some principles away from this. He calls them out for measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves to themselves. So their standard was just looking across the board. Am I better than the guy next to me? Good, then I'm set. They were measuring their own uh, abilities, their own thing. And then it sounds like they were taking credit for stuff maybe Paul had done, maybe other people had done, and taking it off as their own. It would be like me, as the worship pastor of this church, taking credit for this stage because I'm the worship leader now. But if you've been in this church, I don't know how how old is this, 10 years old? 10 years? Thank you. That was a lucky guess. You would know that it was Pastor Jeff who started this project with Jim Pearson and, and many others that had the vision that is what it is and just, um, just an amazing tool that we can use. And you're not going to hear Jeff brag about that, but if I was walking around being like, hey, did you see the stage that I put together? And then finally one day Jeff's like, wait, what? You made the stage? You did the stage? That doesn't make sense. I don't, I don't remember seeing here very often. You're here like two nights during the whole project. It's ridiculous, right? But sometimes when pride gets in the way, we start taking, taking credit for things that aren't even ours. What, do, what are you measuring? We're going to just go ahead and make this personal. Am I measuring my own accomplishments? Am I taking credit for others' work? Or am I I moving the measuring tape to make it look better? I just thought of this idea like if, you know, if I was told to make this um, podium right here and the the specifications that I was to make it to, um, Kurt said, I want you to make a podium and I want it to be uh, six feet wide and three feet tall and two feet deep. And this is what I brought. And so six feet wide, I would have to move that measuring tape quite a bit, right? Oh, there we go. There's six feet. It's kind of a dumb example, but um, <laughs> it works. Well, I'm running short of time, so I really want to get to what should I measure? What, what is important? What should, 
when I'm, when I'm in, in ministry in a group of believers together, um, at, at my workplace, in my family, wherever God has placed me, whatever uh, circle that he's put me in, what am I supposed to be measuring? Am I, am I supposed to be talking about all the great things that I've done? Am I supposed to make sure everybody knows any accomplishment that I made? That's not, that's not the intent. I'm not the one who's, who's supposed to be getting glory for what is, what is happening in my life. I want to suggest that, that this is what we should do. We should measure how God has worked through you. Take time to really, like, I was here five years ago. Maybe, maybe I, I never read my Bible five years ago, and now I'm reading my Bible for five minutes a day. I've, and look at what God has done. He's, he's taken me from this step to this step. Why is that important? It's important because it, it will encourage us to like, oh, God has done this. He can do, we know he can do more. And he's been faithful to keep me on target here. Maybe I, I wasn't, I said we weren't going to talk about money, but maybe I wasn't giving to God a year ago, but now I'm giving him a portion of my paycheck that we've set aside that I've agreed with him to give. Or maybe I wasn't encouraging people before. I would just, when the Holy Spirit would ur- urge me to go talk to that person and tell them that, hey, I see you serving. Thanks for serving. I just would keep that to myself. And now I'm, I'm encouraging people, and I'm seeing what that's doing. Keep track of that. Measure that. Remember, the second thing I would suggest is that we remember how God has worked through you and others around you. We just, we just talked about the stage. Where we remembered this, building this stage, and there was a lot of awesome memories that went along with watching guys work and do this and the intricacies of all the things underneath that you might never care to know about but are really neat. Uh, the design was just, in my opinion, just amazing. Um, we can think about, we can go back to baptisms. We can think about to when people came to Christ and, you know, maybe, what was it, you know, remember last month, this kid accepted Christ. Remember those things. Bring them back. And then lastly, celebrate what God is doing. Celebrate it. Why do we celebrate what God is, what God is doing? I would suggest there's two reasons. Number one is because it's an encouragement. When we celebrate together what God has done, we're encouraged to continue to, to work for him, to continue to carry the message of hope that the gospel brings. But secondly, because he deserves to be celebrated for who he is and what he does. He, he is the one who deserves all that. Because as Paul reminds us at the end of that chapter, we're gonna, the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. For it's not the one commending himself who is approved, but the one the Lord commends. The God is the one 
who's going to tell you if you've lived your life for him and you are at the throne of God one day, he is the one that's going to tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. You're not going to tell that to yourself. He's the one who's qualified. He's the one who knows. And he's the one who's given you what you need to do that. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, and we, we thank you for the message of hope that we have through you, through the sacrifice that you made to pay the penalty for the sin that deserved death. God, we just, we thank you for the ways you move and work the times that we don't see it, the times that we do. We want to be a, we want to be believers who are grateful for everything that you do. And we want to acknowledge that gratitude. We want to measure it and remember it and celebrate it because you are worthy. And God, let us be a church who is all about that so that the message of hope the good news of the gospel can be proclaimed to a world that needs to know it God I just pray that we would be messengers of the good news of the gospel and that we wouldn't turn that off in favor of essentially a message of death by not sharing. God, we thank you for everything that you've done. We pray again for the, all the campers driving up to Hume that you would just work in lives this week. Pray for everyone here this morning that you would be close to us that if there's anybody that doesn't know you, that you would make yourselves known that they would feel comfortable enough to talk to any of the leaders here at the church and that we would share the good news that you provide that we are dead in our sins, enemies to Christ, but that you died for sinners so that we could have a relationship with you. Praise things in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.